0: My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. So hello, Lisa and Jed. It's great to meet you, Lisa. Jed, you've been here before, so it's nice to see you again.
1: Nice to meet you both. Thanks
0: for having me. Yeah, so Lisa, I'd love to hear kind of how you and Jed got connected and I see you've got a lovely background here. Uh, I think this is your your company I believe or some oh, Yeah, this related. is my my default Zoom background. It's better than, you know, showing my daughter's
2: cribs. So, uh, I just kind of keep it up. Um yeah, so Jed and I got connected way back in 2014. Um, so, you know, a very quick backstory. I had, was working with Moringa in the Peace Corps, was like blown away by this plant. I know we'll talk more about it, but was really trying to figure out how can I use it as a tool to improve nutrition and livelihoods in rural villages, like the one I was living with in Niger, West Africa and Peace Corps, while also bringing this incredible plant to the U.S. Um, and so I cold email Jed and said hey I you know I want to do something really cool here I have all these ideas you know would you be open to a conversation and he much to my amazement uh responded and we got on a call and he's been an advisor of Cooly Cooly for a decade now right Jed that's wild to say wow. out loud
1: <laughs> yeah we're getting older aren't we
2: Oh. We are, we are. But I think in the process has become, you know, not just an advisor, but also a friend and someone who I just really admire and, and love working with.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, I I mean, the work that I've seen from Jed and our previous conversation was, uh, you know, very impressive and, and informative. I learned a lot. Uh, we did. We talked a lot about like broccoli sprouts. Those were very trendy at the time. Um, you know, just think, talking about sulfuraphene and and you know all the, the nutritional benefits of such a such a powerful plant. So, and, and I know we did touch on moringa a little bit um, in that discussion, but I'm really excited to dive in more here today because I just, from what I know um, in my own lifestyle, I've found moringa to be a really easy thing to incorporate. Right, so. I use broccoli sprouts uh, regularly in smoothies, but I make them or I'm going to spend, you know, six, seven dollars at the store for ones that probably aren't even good quality. So this idea that there is uh, a plant out there that has all these benefits, which through very short research that I've done provides, you know, a lot more nutritional value, things like vitamin A, iron, calcium than broccoli sprouts that I could drink in a tea or a powder is very appealing to me so i'm i'm very excited and maybe we can kind of kick off with what what moringa even is
2: maybe i'll go i'll give the short answer and i'll let jed give the the more science behind it but um moringa is actually a tree it grows all over the tropics so everywhere from south america to southeast asia all over the african continent Um, You can even find it some places in the U.S. like Hawaii and Florida. Um, And the leaves of this tree are incredibly nutritious. So it tastes kind of like matcha, has kind of an earthy flavor, um, but is packed with protein, calcium, iron, vitamins. And in addition to the nutritional value, it's also been used as a medicinal plant all over the world for a long time. And Jen can talk about some of the recent trials and Studies that have shown that it has really powerful anti-inflammatory benefits, really powerful anti-diabetic benefits, um, and it's just an amazing plant for everyone to be eating. So I'll I'll toss it to Jed for for more on the research.
1: Uh, I, I guess it's fair to say we each know a good bit about moringa, so we can we can go back and forth until we wear out the fact, but. Um, yeah, I, I became interested in moringa in the late '90s, before the turn of the millennium, which really makes me feel old. <laughs> and um, but um, I, I had not been to well, I, I I actually saw it growing in the tropics um, early on. Um, I became interested in it because I had been studying, as as you know, Aaron, the um, the glucosinolates and isothiocyanates in cruciferous vegetables, particular broccoli and broccoli sprouts. And what was apparent from all of the scientific literature was, holy mackerel, here's this plant which is related in terms of its phytochemistry, its, its bioactives, its phytonutrients, related to the broccoli family, the crucifer family, but it's a tree, and it also grows in the tropics, as Lisa has said about, you know, pointing both these things out. Obviously, that's not at all similar to any of the cruciferous vegetables that anybody's familiar with. I mean, the closest thing to a tree is a stalk of Brussels sprouts, right? And that's not really a tree. Um, so the chemistry is very the the what is what actually winds up being the, being the protective chemistry for the plants is very similar. And at the time in two thousand one, we did a massive review on glucosinolates and. Um, I found it quite interesting that, you know, as we ticked off all of the plants that have glucosinolates, almost all of them being in the brassica family, you know, brassica vegetables and related, this moringa plant had them. And then we started looking at, well, which of these plants that we didn't even know the names of back then or didn't know much about are also edible. And so then you delve into the ethnobotanical literature and you find out that In fact, all of them really are, except some of them are really, really nasty tasting weeds. Some, not Moringa, but some other plants that have these compounds. And then the the deeper I dug, it turns out that Moringa has a list of, I was going to say conservatively, this is not a conservative estimate, it's a liberal estimate, but something like 300 medicinal indications in the traditional literature. That's enough to make you your you know your jaw drop and you have to say well they're not all going to be proved out um, but certainly some of them have been already so there are a lot of medicinal indications um, uh, various cultures have been eating moringa for a very long time I'll let I'll turn it back over to Lisa so she can t- so she can tell you how the, how the plant is utilized and what parts and how they get it but yeah it was just so clear that this was a nutritional, a nutritional powerhouse, but also a phytochemical powerhouse. And it is important to sort of keep the two things apart in one's mind, I think, because there are plants that have really uh, interesting and useful and biologically active to humans phytochemicals or phytonutrients, bioactives, but they're not nutritionally things that you would want to tuck into very much. I mean, they they may not even be good to eat a lot of. And then there are plants which are nutritionally powerhouses. You know, they have all of the macro, you know, they have good protein quality and they have carbohydrates and and fats and so on that are good for you. But they're not especially striking from the perspective of their phytonutrients, the, the minor compounds that are not required for a life, but they're required for a healthy life. And it turns out that Moringa has both of these attributes. It's a nutritional powerhouse and a phytochemical powerhouse. So Lisa, maybe, why don't you take over and tell a little bit, tell Erin and her viewers a little bit about the leaves and how they're used and so on. Yeah. Uh, so
2: so Kuli Kuli sources the leaves um, and we source them from small farmers Primarily on the African continent, and they wash, dry, mill these leaves, and then we sell it in a form of everything from gummies to powder blends, um, and even you know, bars, try to make it easy for folks to get the benefits of moringa. Um, but you know, just the the raw pure moringa itself in the US, it's easiest to eat in a powder form because the leaves, you know, will decay really fast. So when you're not in the tropics, it's pretty hard to source the fresh leaves. Um, and it, like, I think like you open with Aaron, like it's a very versatile ingredient. Like I think people mostly use it in smoothies, but we also have a lot of folks who make like a, you know, matcha esque latte with Moringa, which doesn't have caffeine, but it does this kind of naturally energizing effect. Um, I put it in my oatmeal every morning. A lot of folks put it in yogurt. You can also bake with it. Um, turns things like a pretty green, which is great around the holidays. Um, and, you know, it's really easy to just kind of add a little bit to whatever you're making and, and get those nutritional and phytonutrient benefits that, that Dad alluded to. Uh,
0: that's amazing. And, that's and so cool. you mentioned like baking with it, you mentioned adding it to, to warm liquid. So do you lose any of the nutritional value when you change the temperature in that process?
1: I'll let John speak to that one. Yeah, I mean, you lose some of the nutritional benefits of just about anything when, when you cook them, but you also, on the other hand, you make them more digestible um, in many cases. I mean, this human beings, many have made the case that human beings co-evolved with cooking um, because it allowed us to extract more energy from our foods. Erin, you know more about that than I do, I'm sure, but... Um, yeah, so uh, you you can, um, if you cook or if you overcook, you can you can lose some nutritional value. But with moringa leaf powder, the thing is, um, it's powdered, it, and as Lisa said, that it's almost impossible to get fresh leaves in this country in the U.S. So um, you have this dried leaf powder, which keeps forever, maintains its nutritional value forever. And there's not really that much need to to cook it, although you can incorporate it into dish, any other dish that you would put green vegetables in. Um, I was when Lisa, when you were talking about what you incorporated it into, um, certainly Cooly Cooly has a lot of recipes I know for the use of moringa. But one of my favorites is unfortunately labor intensive for the cook. It's it's homemade pasta, green green you know moringa pasta which I first made actually in a workshop in, I don't know, with Echo or maybe in Ghana um, at one of the Moringa conferences. Um, I don't whip out the pasta maker very often, I have to admit. But yeah, so you can really incorporate it into just about anything. You just have to pay a little attention to the amount of water that you put in with it because it's a dry powder that absorbs moisture. And You know, I would say from the perspective of a, um, well, from my perspective, um, a lot of people do like to blend the flavor of it with something else. Some would call that masking. Um, If you're not all that fond of an astringent sort of, um, as Lisa said, leafy green taste, then there are plenty of flavors that um, can be mixed with it. Um, and, And I know people that say they, they don't even know what. Or, uh, in fact, Lisa, you and I were talking to someone a few weeks ago that said he didn't even know what moringa tasted like, but he's been eating it in six for six years, I think, in his smoothies. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if, and
2: I would say just kind of along those notes, you know, as, as someone who cooks and uses moringa a lot, and we've also consulted some professional chefs on this. Um, uh, like a, uh, the two quick tips I would pass along is like one sort of like brown earthy spices do really well with moringa. So cinnamon, cumin, um, it kind of like blends really well with that earthiness. Um, And then two, moringa tends to go well in things that your mind already expects to taste a little green, a little earthy. So like pesto, guacamole, um, you know, sort of things that like, oh, okay, this has a kind of green flavor um, tend to work pretty well.
1: Okay, great. I, I should I should put my scientist hat back on for, uh, and just to finish answering your question about cooking, the glucosinolates, which are the main bioactive phytochemicals and the flavonols, flavonoids uh, are not degraded um, by reasonable cooking. I mean, probably if you put them in a pizza oven at 500 degrees and left it there for a couple of days, some stuff would break down. But um, yeah, in in normal cooking, uh, glucosinolates, the main phytoactives are are not broken down. Um, But yeah,
0: that's awesome. Yeah. So, So thinking about like maybe some losses in certain vitamins and whatnot, but like, really what you're saying, I mean, this moringa leaf itself, it's got so many more powerful benefits. And I'd love to kind of highlight like what would you say are like the top clinically evidence benefits that would make a listener want to use it? Like I think about the polyphenols, for example, and I think, wow, like that's a really great gut health benefit, right? Polyphenols are these compounds that help to feed the beneficial bacteria in our gut, help to keep them alive and healthy. You mentioned some clinical trials that have been been done and I'd be curious to hear, and I'm sure the listeners would as well.
1: Um, I guess I guess that's my question um, or question for me. But um, yeah, I, w- one more thing back to cooking. Remember, with with fresh fresh cruciferous vegetables like take broccoli or cauliflower or something for an example, um, a lot of people steam or perhaps even boil them. Although hopefully that's gotten sort of antique by now, or microwave them. But um, and you do lose soluble vitamins in the pot liquor, in the liquid that comes out of them, and you lose glucosinolates, these phytoactives. Um, So you lose a lot um, um, if you you know if you roast them, and you know you don't really lose too much. But with moringa, since that's microwaving or steaming is not the mode for use on a on a fresh on a on a dry powder you wind up retaining pretty much everything um, depending on how you cook with it, obviously, or what you're cooking. Um, Yeah. So um, the clinical clinically investigated benefits, um, I would have to say um, from a nutritional perspective, there's a lot of buzz, no pun intended about the, the energy boost, the non-caffeine energy boost. Um, I know Lisa will Back that up, and many people, uh, uh, many people bu- use it for that purpose. And Lisa and I are trying to get a, a proper clinical trial done to sort of prove that. Um, but um, from a, uh, you know, a, there have been plenty of trials looking at the nutritional small small clinical studies looking at the nutritional value because it is a highly digestible protein source. It's very bioavailable. Um, uh, the protein quality has been likened to that of of eggs and milk. So as you know, there are some proteins that are just not as accessible or have a, a sort of wacky mix of amino acids. That's not exactly what your human body needs. Moringa is not one of them. Um, and and God forbid we haven't brought up the word superfood yet. I don't think, but we can come back and talk about is it a superfood. But <laughs> So it's got very potent anti-inflammatory activity, antioxidant activity. Um, it has antibiotic activity, selective antibiotic activity, and we can talk about all of these later. Um, cancer preventive activity that's not been directly challenged in a in a you know in a large Western type clinical study, um, but there's certainly an, an abundance of. Um, uh, laboratory and animal study data um, suggesting that, and 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 uh, and of course, many many anecdotal, much much anecdotal evidence. Um, it's got anti-diabetic potency, um, and this is this is quite well documented in small clinical studies. We need more. I mean, I'm going to keep saying that we need more because in you know in Western medicine. The main source of funder is the the NIH and, of course, the USDA and the NSF um, for things like big clinical studies or drug companies. So this isn't a drug, so let's focus on the main source of funding. In the U.S., all of those organizations tend to cater to or look at temperate crops grown in the U.S. Um, and so Moringa has gotten sort of bypassed on a lot of the, the hardcore well financed clinical studies so far. Hopefully that's changing. But um there is, uh, as I say, there I last time I uh, I think last time we counted, there were uh well there were seven I know there are probably about 10 or 12 studies looking at the effects of moringa on diabetes. Um antihypertensive there's certainly some compounds in moringa that have antihypertensive activity directly. Um, and um You know, I mentioned cancer prevention. There's also this question of cancer treatment and um, make it very clear. First of all, I'm not a physician. Second of all, I'm not your physician, Aaron. And third of all, I'm not saying it treats or prevents cancer as proven by trials X, Y, and Z, but um, certain cancers are caused by viruses, right? And moringa has some antiviral, specific antiviral activity. Um, stomach cancer, one of the causative agents of stomach cancer is helicobacter pylori. Moringa has very potent activity against helicobacter pylori. Plus, we know biochemically from an examination of mechanisms in in laboratory studies um, that the moringa um, glucosinolate and the isothiocyanate, sorry for the chemical words, but we can explain them if you need to. Um, those that compound act, or those compounds act on a multiplicity of of uh, pathways that are involved in tumor initiation, tumor promotion, tumor progression, and tumor metastasis. So, the mode of action is consistent with a cancer therapeutic, a cancer treatment, and a cancer preventive uh, um, modality. Um, so you know I, yes I danced around the, the fact that it has not been proven to either prevent or or treat cancer in a big western um uh clinical study but all the evidence points to its value in those areas and the traditional medicine um most certainly uh, the ethnobotany most certainly points to that also
0: that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's across the board when you think about research in general. I mean, it's it's you're hard pressed to find uh, a lot of good research on these really valuable. Um, things that a lot of us could be doing, unfortunately, and so you know, my kind of default is, you know, when you just understand the benefits of the plant, and then we've got tons of research on inflammation and diabetes, and inflammation and cancer, and you know, antioxidants, and so I ca- kind of just try to come back to that and say, well, you know, what what harm could be done if we know that there are a lot of good, you know, evidence based studies that are done in humans that show that these are powerful compounds against those types of ailments really incredible to, to just learn about some of the things that you mentioned. And I did want to come back to the protein content because I actually wasn't aware about the, the protein content of Moringa. Uh, and I know on your website, I think you said it two times the amount of protein of yogurt. So just give me like, give me the dietitian digestible version of like in, in maybe like a, a tablespoon or something, how, how many grams of protein in some sort of serving can I just from, from a conceptual standpoint?
2: Yeah, I can, I can jump in on that one. So Moringa is about a third protein by weight. Um, There isn't a Moringa protein isolate in the same way that like, you know, sometimes people will compare the raw Moringa powder and they'll be like, Oh, it's not as much as pea protein or rice protein. And I think sometimes people forget that like, that's not pea powder. That's pea powder extracted into a protein. Um, And we don't do that with Moringa because it's very expensive as a crop and and very hard to do that in a way that anyone would afford to do or afford to purchase. But it is, um, like Jed said, a highly soluble protein and it has all of your essential amino acids. So I think the thing to think about is that, like, yes, it's not going to give you your your 20 grams of protein for the day. um, But my understanding, and you would know better as a dietitian, like, most Americans aren't actually lacking in protein amount. I think what it's um, important to think about is like the quality of the protein. And it's a very, very high quality protein that your body can very easily digest.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, my population in particular, and some of my, some of my listeners are my clients too. They are not getting enough protein in their diet. So I will, I will, I will challenge them on that just so that we make sure I'm still holding them accountable. But um, of course, yes, protein quality is is super important. Um, and, you know, we always talk about the, the essential versus the non-essential amino acids to make that distinction. Um, and the reason I just say it is because I don't want listeners to think that it is like going to be their new protein powder or something like that. I want them to think of it for like a whole of what the amazing benefits are. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many people come to me eating a tablespoon of peanut butter for breakfast and they're like, yeah, I wonder why I'm hungry yet you know, 10 a.m., you know, an hour after I eat breakfast. And it's like, well, yeah, we got to get a little bit, you know, more high-quality protein at breakfast and get the the amount of grams up. So that's really, really wonderful to just understand that and and see that Moringa offers those benefits.
2: I will just maybe add on to that. So Kuliguli does sell um, protein shakes that have Moringa plus protein and plus brown rice proteins, so you can get sort of a holistic amount of protein while also getting all the nutrient and the phytochemical benefits of moringa. That's awesome.
1: So, how much? What is the weight of um, a tablespoon of moringa powder? I I've always forget. Is it two and a half grams or no? Two and a half
2: grams. grams yeah. Two
1: and a half grams. So, um, yeah, and so a third of that is protein you know we i left out on my list of sort of medical indications one thing is very important um in my mind and that's it's lactation enhancing ability or otherwise called a galactagogue by some of the um i guess not the us scientific literature doesn't use that term so much but um and and this has been this has been uh, shown powerfully in the traditional literature and in some clinical studies, um, and it's been published on in the U.S. Uh, also. Um, so very potent. As, Lisa, what is it? As as much as doubling milk milk volume, milk output um, in some yeah, cases, it's, right?
2: It's wild. I mean, we have so many doulas and lactation consultants that recommend moringa for that. I also say as the mom of a, a nine month old. It is it is remarkable. Just adding a, a you know a little bit more moringa, you kind of see a big difference.
0: Um, yeah, no, I mean so anything- think about hormone balance in general, right? And so you you know you seven times the amount of vitamin C of oranges. This is gram per gram. The calcium, the potassium, the vitamin A. Uh, and when you think about hormone balance in, in the way you're kind of even talking about postpartum and the need for a lot of these nutrients supporting the adrenals, supporting inflammation in the body, which also relates to gut health. So thinking about all these systems of the body, and then, you know, what, what I would really highlight is, like you said, the polyphenols and the glucosinolates, the flavonoids, phenolic acids, like, I mean, this is just a, it's a, it is a superfood, which I know we kind of hate that word a little bit. But, you know, if you if you really take a step back and, and, and look at the list, it seems like we could probably put it under that category.
1: I I like that word nowadays. Lisa and I have have argued about it in a long time ago, but I've I've come over to the camp of calling it a superfood. I just. <laughs> I just never liked the term "superfood." Period. No matter what food you were talking about, but I think it fits. And consumers use that term all the time, and they relate to it, so let's use it, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. Now, tell me about quality, right? So, with greens powders, right? You people get worried about things like heavy metals, or um, you know, with like mushrooms and stuff that are you know bound into powders, they worry about mold or anything like that. So, can you talk about like? quality control, especially when this is, you know, not a native plant, like how the company kind of focuses on those types of things. Cause I'm sure they do knowing, knowing that Jed is involved.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, quality is our number one criteria. I mean, I, I think the unfortunate thing about you know, the rise of people buying supplements on the internet is there's like anyone can throw moringa powder in a bag and and sell it without really any regard for the way that it's grown and processed. Um, so one of the things we do is, is do a lot of soil testing because to your point, um, moringa is, is actually a bioaccumulator. So like anything in the soil, like takes up into the leaves. So if you think of a lot of places with heavy industry we find this with a lot of moringa from india um, you tend to get much higher levels of heavy metal than you do from where most of our moringa comes from which is on the african continent in very rural areas no no heavy industry anywhere um, and so that's kind of thing one um is that you you know we are really stringent we have literally the highest standards on the market and in terms of metals and and soil quality because we believe that, you know, if it it doesn't grow in good soil, it's not going to do for your body what it's supposed to. Um, And then I think the second thing is really test along the way. So, you know, like we've alluded to, Moringa isn't a temperate crop. It doesn't grow well in the U.S. So pretty much all the Moringa powder you find in the U.S. is sourced elsewhere. Um, and so we test everything three times before we sell it. So we test it one time at source. So, for example, you know, say our, our supplier partner in Ghana, um, we test it there, uh, make sure it's good before we ship. Then, after it's arrived in the US, which, you know, takes four to six weeks, um, we test it again, make sure, you know, no Bacteria has developed. No mold has developed. We have really, really stringent requirements around both of those, and we will reject shipments if if you know something has grown in transit. Um, and then we test it one more time once it's in the final product. So everything that we sell um, has been tested three times. It's been third party tested. We send it out to you know an accredited lab. Um, the best, best labs in the U.S. Um, and make sure that it really meets our stringent quality requirements before we sell it. Because I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, people aren't eating Moringa because it's like the best tasting thing in the world. Like it's a, it's a green spatter. It's an earthy green. You're eating it because you want the effects. Um, and I think what we are really excited about is that if people really do feel a difference. But, you know, Jed went through kind of all the medicinal benefits and and what's improving and, you know, where more research needs to be done. And I think there's obviously a need for more research, but it's also just really cool. Like the number of consumers who reach out and say like, I use this as part of my cancer treatment and had a really big impact, or, you know, I use this um, as part of helping to manage my diabetes. Like that's something we hear particularly from a lot of Latinx folks, because Marina is really well known as something that Um, folks use for diabetes and and weight management. Um, And as anybody who's taken Moringa can tell you, um, you know, it does have some pretty strong gut properties. And and if you you are really seeking a cleanse, if you eat a lot of Moringa, it will have a cleansing
0: uh, effect. Okay, interesting. So we need to elaborate on that a little bit, (laughs) just for my purpose. But so is, is it, is it more stimulating to the bowels? Is it more, we're talking like a laxative effect if you're doing like, and what dose would this have to be done at? Would someone have to like really overdo it?
2: Yeah. So we generally recommend folks start with a tablespoon of Moringa. So that two and a half grams. Um, and I think anywhere in the like two and a half to 10 grams, you're not going to have a laxative effect. Um, but it is, Somewhat popular with some of our consumers, if they are trying to have a laxative effect, if you know there's something going on in their body, they need to cleanse. Um, kind of around that 10 gram mark or above, you'll you'll see more of a laxative effect
0: okay yeah we're there's no such thing as t m i on this podcast, so uh, my mm-hmm. listeners know that we we're all looking for tips on ways to keep our bowels regular and and stay healthy, so that's that's great to know um you know i i've like I said, I've been drinking it as a tea, but i'm I'm very intrigued to to try adding it as a powder now um and and you know what it's you know everyone wants to know well, okay, how can I skirt around the idea of getting vegetables and I just don't like them and it's a hard answer, right? You just, you have to either find ways to make it more palatable or think of the the medicinal benefits. And I think there is a mindset shift that can happen when you're really motivated to optimize your health. And, you know, we see this in patients who are diagnosed with cancer or diagnosed with some, you know, something that's basically altering their life in a way they're much more motivated and they don't care anymore about the taste and so there's this this thing that we kind of shift of you know trying to focus on the medicinal benefits and then you know if we can make it taste much better that's great you mentioned the the client with the smoothie but just seeing these things for what they are and and knowing that there's not really a replacement for fruits and veggies and so moringa is is a great way to to add that into your diet from um.
1: From a a lazy consumer perspective, not that I I am not one, but, you know, a lot of people just don't like all the effort that's required in eating a lot of vegetables, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. whether it's the chewing, the mastication, or whether it's the preparation. So this is a vegetable, but it's in about the most compact form possible. So Mm -hmm. um, I just want to address one other thing that Lisa, you just mentioned, you said... uh, at the end of one of your statements, something like "of course, more research would be is not is necessary would be nice." I find that statement, which I see all the time, really interesting because um, so many scientific papers that deal with phytochemicals or deal with food um, or deal with disease, you know, they have at the end this, you know, in their conclusions um, or at the very end of the papers, you know. More clinical trials would be, you know, this conclusion would benefit from more clinical trials, something like that. Yeah, that's true of everything, right? To build a better consensus opinion. Um, but you don't you don't see that referred to the eating, for example, of apples or broccoli or steak or whatever you know, foods people eat a lot of. And I, I do object to seeing that with paired with uh, you know an article about a scientific article about moringa because it's easy for people who are not familiar with it to to not realize or to forget that this is a plant this is a crop if you will but it's a it's a plant that has been eaten for hundreds and hundreds of years by people all over the freaking world. Um, I mean the whole tropical belt around the middle of the globe has been eating this and doing quite well, thank you. So there's no issue of whether it's bad for you or toxic. Obviously anything in excess is not good for you. Um, Yes, there are certainly unresolved questions about, is it good for this condition or this disease or this syndrome? Yeah, and those questions will always be there, but it's not a harmful plant in any way, shape or form. and that that gets lost in the Western scientific literature a lot, I think. Yeah, um,
0: that's a great point. Yeah. That's a yeah. great point. And I think, you know, just, I don't even like to call attention to it, but there are actually people that are, you know, trying to make a living off of selling points that, you know, there's fruits and vegetables out there that are harmful. And that just, that's always been one of my biggest pet peeves, because these are foods that come from the earth that are nutritionally dense and you know, if you can't tolerate those foods for some reason, then we want to look what's going on in your gut health, because it's likely that you probably have something going on that's making, you know, those types of foods exacerbate your symptoms. I agree. I mean, it's, it you know, you don't have to be a scientist, I think, to understand that fruits and vegetables are good for us. And then, you know, you are a scientist, obviously. So you understand the true intric- intricacies of, you know, the, the molecular compounds and how they, they would work in the body. So um Yeah, this was really informative for me just to kind of learn more about the actual plant itself. I really appreciate the work that you're doing for quality control, Lisa, with the company. That means a lot to me as a dietitian, because I'm always trying to advocate for my clients to ask about heavy metal testing and quality control and not buying things off of Amazon that, you know, they have no idea where they're coming from. So as consumers, they can feel very overwhelmed and confused. And uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So it's just nice to know that there's companies out there like yours that are taking the extra step. And I also have my own supplements. So I know that it's also extra money that you are spending to have them tested. And and I really appreciate that as a business owner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is there anything else that you feel like we haven't talked about today that you think would be really important? Is there any like new advances that we should be looking out for with uh, Moringa or any sort of literature, even not related to Moringa, maybe with the company?
2: I mean, I would be remiss talking about gut health and not talking about a new product that we just launched called Gut Bliss. Um, And I think one of the things Sort of to Judd's point of there being all these plants that have been used all over the world for millennia to treat and prevent you know all sorts of issues um and that we're you know just now learning about in the. US um but I think you know we're we're really excited to sort of build off that cultural knowledge and and help bring some of these plants to the us and do it in a way that really benefits the farming communities where they're sourced so that's kind of a long-winded way of, of saying there's another plant that we're very excited about called Baobab, um, which is really high in prebiotic fiber. It's got incredible gut benefits. Um, and we paired it with Moringa, which is something that's done a lot all over the African continent. And it has just like incredible benefits. Like you, you can really feel a difference. So we, we launched that product relatively recently. Um, it's called Gut Bliss and you know, happy to give your listeners a coupon code if anyone wants to try it. But um, I think it, it's just, we're, you know, living in a globalized community and it's cool to be able to learn from other cultures of like what medicinal plants have worked well there and, and what can we, you know, bring here and how to do it in a really
0: fair and equitable way. Mm, wonderful. That's awesome. How about you, Jed?
1: Um. You mentioned uh, the fact that you drink or you take your moringa, uh, you do your moringa as a tea, Aaron, um, or have been. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great way for people to get some of the phytochemical benefits. Not as much of the nutritional benefit, obviously, because you don't you don't get the fiber, and you do get you do actually get a lot of the soluble protein, but. Um, but that's a good way, and it's also a good way to sort of titrate and get used to the taste, because you can make it weak or you can make it strong. You can, you know, you can buy moringa tea bags, which do, I don't even. Do you sell them, Lisa? I don't, I don't, you we do? do
2: sell them, yeah.
1: But you you can also use an infuser and and use the moringa powder um, that, um, that 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 Cooly Mer- Cooly sells. So, yeah, I mean, I think the tea and you can also make it hot or cold. You can do like a sun tea a cold steep um or you can do a traditional hot tea so that that's a good way to to to, to sort of blend into it if you're not sure about uh whether you're going to like it um
0: Mhm yeah that's that's a great point and and honestly, I'll just speak to what I've seen personally with just even the t's I know that and and the mechanism of action that I have attributed to it. Um, is the the glucosinolates upregulating the phase two detoxification in the bodies, which I talk about a lot on social media and with my clients is, you know, the word detox can be kind of, you know, sexy or whatever, but right. Our bodies are naturally detoxing all the time. Our liver has multiple phases where we turn, you know, certain toxins to be more soluble. And then there's phase two kind of use the bathtub example of like opening the drain and letting things out. And I talk to a lot of patients about this when we talk about hormone balance and getting rid of excess estrogen in the body. And so long witted way of me saying that I tend to drink it, especially around like more of a luteal phase for me or ovulation when I tend to get more acne. And I've definitely noticed that I get a lot less of the acne. My skin looks a lot better and I would attribute it to that, um, especially when I'm not doing a great job at getting my cruciferous vegetables in. So my own personal experience, that, your, that's all that I have skin to looks share. <laughs> your okay.
2: um, Yeah, and I will say, I mean, coolly, coolly cool, doesn't, do this. We're we're focused more on the, the powder leaf powder and the nutritional side, but there are entire companies that really focus on Moringa's Moringa skincare benefits um, and ways that it can, you know, even using like the Moringa seeds as an oil and putting it on your face. And I think you, you get a lot of those benefits from all parts of the tree. So it doesn't surprise me that you see those benefits.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm excited to try the powder now. It was You know, I've seen it in like the the home goods, TJ Maxx section where they've got all the powders. And of course, I'm not purchasing a a greens powder from there. Um, But like I said, now knowing about your company and and the quality control, definitely be giving that a try. And I'll have to share that on social media with my listeners to just share my experience. So awesome. Well, any anything else, Jed, that you wanted to share?
1: Um unprompted, no. Ask me a question and I'll go rattle on for a half an hour. But no, I mean, I think we've covered a lot of the terrain as far as the benefits of Moringa. Um, I mean, since you opened the door to other parts of the plant, Lisa, indeed the oil from Moringa seeds, which is not something Kooli Kooli deals with, but the seed oil is an incredible uh, oil that's been likened to or, or said to be as high quality as things like sperm whale oil not certainly politically socially ethically correct these days um, i would not know what what that oil looks like thank goodness but um but yeah i mean you know in the olden days that was used to for, as a to light lamps and so on so moringa oil has been used since i think the the ancient roman days um, and it's a very high quality oil we've used it in in Um, dermatological um, trials, uh, although we've not published on that. So yeah, it's a very versatile plan overall. But we're glad we were able to share with you something about the leaves today. We we'll have yeah. to come back another time and talk about another one of the plant parts.
0: I hope so, honestly. I mean, every time, every time that you've been here, Jed, you've you really enlightened listeners, and Lisa, you've been such a great addition to sharing more. And uh, yeah, just really appreciate both of your time. And I have to ask the last question, which is the most important question, which is, what is your favorite childhood memory with food? You can alter this question if you don't have a good childhood memory, um, Jed. If you want to go again, share another memory. I would love that. But whenever you're ready, oh,
1: yeah. I, I forgot you even asked that question before. Um, I, lordy, I used. I mean, I don't really have bad childhood experience memories of food. I remember. Yeah. Okay. I think I was forced to eat either. I think it was string beans when I didn't want them. And I warned my parents that I would, that I would throw up if they made me eat them. And they did. And I did. Um, But I love, I love string beans nowadays anyway. So it, it didn't, it didn't traumatize me long term.
0: Yeah, and um, you're doing I, research in in plants so i think i think we can say you you've come a pretty 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 long way
1: <laughs> I, I i have a high threshold for bitter um so uh, there's not really much that that i don't like um yeah there very few things i don't like so yeah sorry uh, that's not a very not a great childhood memory about food you know but um
0: that's okay how about you lisa <laughs> Yeah,
2: um, so I'm a, a Bay Area, California Bay Area kid, and um, my parents did a really good job of growing foods in our garden. So we grew kale and we grew lettuce and all sorts of stuff, and I would refuse to eat any greens unless they were grown in our garden. So, certain points of the year, I ate a lot of greens, certain points of the year, I. Ate. <laughs> um, but it was a really wonderful way to. Kind of get exposed to all these vegetables
0: Wow that's wonderful I I don't know if having a garden would have helped me as a kid but I refuse to eat pretty much anything green growing up so but here we are you know there's it's never too late to acquire a taste and uh, you know a, a preference to decide to do something good for your health so uh, thank you well, for- it's
2: never too early to start I will just say like you know we I've got two kids. We make moringa oatmeal every morning and it has kind of like wired their taste buds so that they are open to earthy green bitter flavors and it means that they eat a lot more vegetables as a result.
0: That's true. That's a really great point that the parents out there should think about that. I mean I was even sitting at dinner with um you know my very picky nephew the other day and I picked up a green bean. Jed, this will inspire you maybe. Um, I picked up a green bean, and I was kind of like swinging it around, like making it fun. And then I, you know, took a bite. And I remember, um, you know, my, my mom saying, Oh, he's he's not gonna eat those. He doesn't he never eats his vegetables. And he watched me do it. And then he proceeded to eat probably two to three full cups of green beans. So <laughs> um, I always say never give up like you just never know, you should always continue to offer vegetables to your kids. And we could do a Whole episode on that, but um, really glad that you brought that up. That not only are is it great because it's a great quality, right? You care more almost what you're putting into the little bodies than you're putting into an adult, just from a safety perspective. But yeah, what a great way to sneak in some of those amazing benefits, and you know, also get them to have a more acquired uh, palate. Absolutely, wonderful.
1: Clearly, clearly, Aaron. No one ever told you not to play with your food, right? <laughs> no,
0: they, I do remember the lunch lady making a few remarks, but I think the lesson there is that I wasn't a great listener. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I turned out okay. So, <laughs> oh, well, it was so great to talk to both of you, and hope you both have a wonderful rest of your day, and um, we'll stay in touch.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. And I did Slack someone on my team. There is now a 20% off with discount code nutrition rewired. So if anyone wants to check out cool, got some cool stuff on there, pure Moringa powder, got bliss. I think lots of stuff that folks might enjoy.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for that. I'm sure they will be very appreciative. Might be also a really good gift, right? We're, we're heading into the holidays nice. that could be like a good stocking stuffer, If my mom's listening, it could be a great stocking (laughs) stuffer. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. and, And both of you have a wonderful rest of your day.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much for having us.
0: All right. Bye. Bye.